And then take your Bibles, and I know your Bible's going to think you're wrong in turning there, but turn to Romans, not Mark. Your Bible might revolt a little bit. I know it probably opens right up to Mark 9, which is where we will be next week. But for today, I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. I want to talk to you today. I'm going to try to switch this. It was not working before. It might have been up on the Test one, two. I don't, I don't hear it. I don't know if it's not on there. Check one, two. Test one, two. I'll just use this. I want to talk to you today about the perilous path of ingratitude. Ingratitude. Um, back in the day, you've heard this. You've heard this statement. I'm going to tell you where it comes from. Have you, you've heard the statement that he isn't worth his salt. Um, and the reason, where the history of that comes from is salt was such a precious commodity in the first century because there was no, there was refrigeration. So Roman soldiers and others were often paid in salt. Salt was a currency because it was so valuable. And you would salt your meat and your fish and that's what that's what preserved it, right? So we see a lot of that in the scriptures. It was, it was uh, where for us today, it's merely something to flavor our food. Back in that day, it was their refrigerator. It was their way of preserving their food. So it was a preservative. And we see in the scriptures also where it says, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what's it good for? Absolutely nothing. You just throw it out and walk on it, right? And that's, that's by the way, that's directed towards us as salt. In our text today, Paul, in his scathingly accurate historical treatise on the descent of man, unblinkingly declares the debauchery that is the result, listen to me, of not being thankful and expressing the credit for all goodness back to God. We sing it at the end of every service. Praise God from what? whom all blessings flow. Paul would say this, repeat this in his epistle to the Corinthians. He says, what do you have? What good thing do you have that God didn't give you? Now I'm paraphrasing terribly. That's Pastor Paul 2.2. But what do you have that you didn't get from God? And that answer is nothing. Nothing. So here's the idea in a nutshell today. I want to alert you. I want to shock your senses a little bit. I want to wake us up to this reality that thankful expression to God is a preservative, not only in your life, but in our culture. Amen? So what begins with neglecting to thank God ends in all-out idolatry. How do we go from ingratitude to idolatry? I'm glad you asked. There are five steps that Paul is going to lay out for us today. Step number one, here we go, is practical indifference to known truth. Now for this, we've got to back up to verse 18. So you're in Romans 1. Look at verse number 18. We on it up there? Number one. 
Here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now notice what we do. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What's he saying? We know the truth. Natural man knows the truth. Right? But what do we do? We work really hard to suppress it. We have a saying, put a lid on it, right? You know what that means. Keep that quiet. We work really hard to keep that truth quiet in our life. And there's a result of that. And please don't miss it. What does it say at the beginning um, of that verse? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. We are under the wrath of Almighty God when we suppress truth. And wrath does not mean that God is in a bad mood. Wrath literally means the holy, hot anger of God. And notice it says currently, not eventually. It says all unrighteous men are currently under the wrath of Almighty God. Those who see the clear revelation of God through creation are under his wrath. Look at verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, and underline this in your own Bible, so that they are without what? Excuse. He say, you know, we know the truth. We can look at what has been created. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Even natural man knows that. He can look at the trees and figure out God because God's planted that truth in his heart. But he works really hard to keep a lid on it. Paul goes on to spell out what happens when we become indifferent to spiritual truth? Look at verse 22 or 21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's the first thing that happens when we become indifferent to spiritual truth. Number one is we refuse to glorify God. We refuse to give God the credit for what he has made and his authority over all of his creation. Does that make sense? We, God created us as mirrors to reflect back his glory back to him. But natural man is a sponge instead of a mirror. He takes his glory, God's glory, and steals it for himself. And then he goes on to say in that very verse that we refuse to give thanks to God. Did you know that the command or the, the concept of giving thanks, you might want to jot this down, 139 times it shows up in the Bible. Tells us to give thanks. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They weren't thankful. You say, well, you know what? That's not a big deal. Why do you teach your children to say thank you, by the way? 
just because it's a polite thing to do. Right? Because the idea of saying thank you to other people, don't, don't only do half your job. Make sure that they're always thanking God first and other people second. Amen? It's so important that we teach young people this. And one of the ways we've done that historically in the church reminds me of the first question of the... Now, we use the New City Catechism around here, but I'm also some of you are familiar with the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question is this. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? To, why are we here? We are here to reflect the glory the thank you back to God. And when we do that, that is the path of enjoying God for how long? Forever. Um, this truth of who God is, what he has done, it demands a response from the human heart. And the truth about God demands that we creatures glorify him as the great creator. And when we don't, hear me, we fail in the very reason that we are created. And there are great consequences for that. Think about it. Feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping up a present and never giving it. All right, we, need to, we need to express this gratitude to God. Because at the end of the day, it's not happy people who are grateful. Listen to me. It's grateful people that are happy. You see how much this, it, this involves our hearts as it relates to God. We need to learn to be thankful people. And mark it down, from Eden all the way to Macon, Georgia, there is a bent towards disobedience that has infected and affected all of us thanks to the unthankfulness of our first father, Adam. Think about that. If Adam was grateful and thankful when Satan in the form of that serpent began to deceive his wife, his actions would have been very different. So I want you to mark this down well. When men turn away from God, they always go down, never up. When we stop being thankful, the result is always negative, never positive. Amen? Number two, fuzzy thinking about ultimate issues. Fuzzy thinking about ultimate issues. Now, you might want to jot this down in your outline. The first step, I just, I can shorten that up and just call it neglect. We, we don't say, we don't give thanks to God, back to God. And does he deserve it? Yeah, that's, that's a big part of the reason we come and do it together corporately. But here's step number two is speculation. When we stop saying thank you, we start wondering and questioning Hath God really said? Is he really as good as he says he is? One commentator said this. It's a strange picture of men who, having rejected the truth, listen to this, desperately search for anything to replace it. Isn't that true? Once you reject it, you'll be searching for something. They flip from idea to idea, from hypothesis to hypothesis, from theory to theory, frantically looking for a unifying world view. These men who could not stop thinking about God these are men who could not stop thinking about God, but the more they thought, the more wrong their conclusions became. They, could, they couldn't stop thinking, and they couldn't get it right. Isn't that true? It doesn't mean that they stopped thinking. It means that when 
that when, when your starting point is wrong, you'll never get to the right conclusion. Amen? It's true. A grateful mind is a great mind. Someone once said the brain is only as strong as its weakest think. And some of our thinking is weak. Right? We need to, we need to honor God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Um, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Listen to this. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. Give credit to him. And he'll make your paths straight. Right? Acknowledge God. Give God credit. Realize who he is. And when you don't, your thinking begins to go astray. We get some fuzzy thinking. You mark it well that those who turn away from God in their hearts soon leave him in their minds. And don't we know that to be true today? And we see that right in the word of God. Because they were not thankful, they became futile in their thoughts. Their thoughts became twisted and fuzzy. I know that we would be hard-pressed to turn on the news and see any examples of that in our society today. Can, can you think of some? I mean, it's, it's literally a darkened mind. It's the only thing... It's the only thing that you, you can attribute that to. The thinking starts to get fuzzy. Well, if God, if there really, if, if it really is no God, then what happens to God's order and God's rules? Well, they just become one of a choice of thousands. And we become idolaters. This, this, is, this is how it happens. This is the steps. Number three, I want you to see there, now there becomes an inability to distinguish between good and evil. First, the thinking gets twisted and fuzzy. And once that happens, you're going to get to the point that you can't even tell the difference between what is good and evil. And pretty soon you get so confused, you call evil good and good what? Evil. God's got some things to say about that. Bible says right there, their, their thinking that became futile or empty or twisted in their thinking... And then what? Their foolish hearts were, what's that word, church? Darkened. The lights go out. The light of revelation goes out. Someone once said, the head is not heard until the heart has listened. As a man thinks in his what? Heart, so is he. Their hearts get darkened. Gratitude is the memory of the heart. It's so vital. This all starts with not being thankful. And if you have nothing, if you sit here today and say, you know what, preacher, I, I was looking at my life, I have nothing to be thankful for. There's something wrong with you. There just is. I, I, I don't know a nicer way to say that. That word heart there... and. And, and be careful of this in the scripture. Heart has several meanings. Um, and we got to be careful about glomming onto one specific meaning. It can, the word heart can mean, can be a, a synonym for your life. But it tends to mean the inner life, the soul life, in which resides your thinking, your feeling, your emotions, and also your volition, your choosing. 
Think about that for a minute. What happens when your entire inner monologue goes dark? I tell you, nothing good happens. And the Bible says unequivocally here through the Apostle Paul, this all starts with not thanking God. You see how serious this is? We get a darkened heart. And today I'm going to tell you, the world is dark because men's hearts are dark. Amen? And if, and if men's hearts weren't so dark, the world wouldn't be so dark. Now listen, it gets worse. Step number four, a self-proclaimed ability, listen to this, to live without God. I can't tell good from evil. Those two things look like the same. It just depends on the situation, whatever. I make the rules. And now I come to the realization is I don't need God. I don't need a higher power. That's for people who, well, that's an intellectual crutch for weak thinking people. Does that sound like fuzzy thinking? You better believe it. That's a person in whom the lights have gone out. Pro professing themselves to be wise, Paul says they became what? Fools. Then the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now look at the progression. Number one is neglect, which leads to number two, speculation, which leads to number three, and jot this down under point number three, moral blindness. We, we are forever calling right wrong and wrong right in our culture today. Listen, if you don't believe it, when, when your first clue that the lights have gone out in somebody you're talking with is when they say that that fertilized egg is just a clump of cells, it's not a person. You're just a clump of cells. I'm just a clump of cells. And when we can, and here's the word, when we can murder a human being in the womb and do it without blinking and call it health care, the lights have gone out. And don't think one political party has the corner on this evil. It's on both sides. I mean, we are fighting an incremental war instead of drawing a battle line. They're trying to see how far away from conception is it okay to murder a human being. And our politicians, there's a lot of darkness in there. They're looking at small steps instead of calling it what it is. If it's murder, it's what? Do we have laws about murder? Yes! But we do not enact those laws when it comes to the unborn. There's twisted thinking and darkened minds. We don't even know what good and evil is anymore. There is a total loss of moral blindness. And now this climax is in number four here. A total loss of God himself. God knowledge is gone. Here's, the, here's God's estimation of all the great philosophers of Greece and Rome is this right here. In God's eyes, they were fools because their philosophy was based on a rejection of God. Dr. R.A. Torrey <laughs> used to read verse 22 this way. Professing themselves to be wise, they became philosophers 
And then he corrected himself and said, no, philosophers. And that's what we are. When we think we can fix man without looking at the instructions from the one who created man. You'll never fix a human being from the outside in. You've got to start from the inside out. And when the lights are off, there's no fixing you. And there's no fixing this culture. That's what God thinks of this world's highest intellectuals. Although pro pro possessing great intelligence, they are moral and spiritual pygmies. They are neophytes when it comes to thinking God's thoughts after him. And by the way, it's not a coincidence. When you look back in, in history over some of the greatest scientific discoveries and advances made. You know who are they made by? Christians. Or people with a worldview that saw an intelligent creator and they looked for a design and not chaos. Why? Because the lights are on. And listen... There are so many examples of this. The gender insanity today. Do, do you ever, I don't recommend this, but in some sense I do. Do you ever listen to people who adhere to this? Uh, you, you listen to it, it's like, and they like to call us followers of God the anti-science people. But I can just decide that I'm a woman, and you have to celebrate that. It's not enough for you to agree. You have to celebrate. The lights are off. We've lost the ability to see right and wrong. And it leads us to this last thing. Number step five is substituting the visible in place of the invisible. And this is where it all lands eventually. So here we reach the final step in man's turning away from God. And I don't want you to miss the progression. Hopefully you've got it written down. First one is neglect. Then speculation, as God really said. Then there's moral blindness, the inability to tell right from wrong or to call right right and wrong wrong. Then there's the loss of God. So you know what? If there is no right and wrong then there's no such thing as someone who tells us what's right and wrong, and that's, that being ultimately is God. You see it? Which leads to what? Idolatry. That's the last step, is idolatry. In verse 23, we're going to look at that together now, Paul paints a startling picture. Look at verse number 23. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God. The incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. What happened? Listen to me. God hardwired man to be a worshiper listen you can't help it you can't help it 
And if he will not worship God, he will find or make something to worship. You know that's true? I made, personally, I've made eight things to worship, and they all have names, and they've cost me a lot of money over the years. It's called children. Let me tell you something. God's best blessings make great idols if you're not careful. Right? Careful. Warren Wearsby said this, man is so constituted that he must worship something, and if he will not worship the true God, he will worship a false God, even if he has to manufacture it himself. And it says here they exchanged the glory of God. That's like exchanging an unwanted, unneeded Christmas gift. And that's how we're treating the God who made us. Jot this down. Ingratitude reveals our misdirected worship. Ingratitude reveals our misdirected worship. Brothers and sisters, you are always worshiping. Always. And the way you know that you're worshiping God is you are a grateful person. Stuart Briscoe offers this very challenging analysis of this predicament. Here's what he said. The root of the problem is in man's utterly arrogant preoccupation with himself. Tourists from all over the world have viewed the wonders of ancient Rome, Greece, and Egypt without realizing that much of the magnificence was man's tribute to himself and an insult to God. We should never forget that many of the statues that grace our museums pleasing our aesthetic senses and sparking our curiosity, in reality, they provoke God to wrath. Some of you, some of our students this week toured uh, the Museum of Art. I should have told you this before you went. A lot of what you're seeing inspires the wrath of God. And we need to be aware of that. Neither should we overlook the fact that ancient idolatry is alive and well in the modern world, he goes on to say. In the article, Idolatry, in the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible, it lists some of the better-known gods of the Mesopotamian pantheon. Ishtar, the goddess of love. Nebu, the patron of science and learning. And Nergal, the god of war and hunting. Today we sit in Ishtar cinema, study in Nebu University, and yell our heads off at Nergal Stadium, modern places and attitudes of worship. You're no, we're no different than they. You say, you mean as a follower of God, I can have an idol? You betcha. You say, how can I know what my idol is? I'll give you a quick test. Because we're an immediate society, aren't we? Just answer this question. You want to know what your idol is? Just, just answer this question honestly. What or who, if taken from me, would make my life a living hell? Say amen or ouch or write it down. What or who, if taken from me, would make my life a living hell?
Let me give you a four, some takeaways here, and then we'll be done. Here's takeaway number one. Left to himself, man will always move away from God, never towards him. You aren't finding God on your own. Left to your own devices, we don't have a chance. And the true judgment on a human race is that man has turned away from God, and here's the sad part, and we don't realize it. Don't realize it. Why? Because our minds are darkened. The light has been turned off. Later on, I wish there was time, there's not. God says he gave them up, and he gave them over. The worst thing God can do is to let you have your own way. Those who turn away from God find it is only a short journey from the knowledge of God to the worship of idols because you're going to worship something. The problem with that is what you idolize will disappoint you and one day you'll demonize what you idolize. My mom used to tell me all the time, hate and love are first cousins. They're really closely related. And that idolatrous love, and it, and it, it tends to happen with spouses, with children, You're my reason for being, but when you don't meet the standard or meet my needs, what I idolize, I'll demonize. Here's the main point, and I'm almost done. The first step away from God is the big one. Say, Pastor, how can I stay off this journey? Learn to be thankful. Just being thankful. Will keep you from that. And neglecting gratitude. Not putting God in the spotlight. Not reflecting God's goodness back to him. Not realizing that every good thing in your life. Comes down from the father of lights. With whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. What good thing do you have. That did not come from the hand of almighty God. And who are we to not say thank you. I know what you're thinking. You say, well, preacher, I, I would never turn to idols. Don't be so sure about that. It all begins with one step. That is indifference to what you know to be true. All you have to do is to neglect the things you know to be true. And here's a sentence worth pondering. The sin of neglecting that which is good eventually leads to the sin of committing that which is evil. You don't want to commit evil, don't neglect what's good. God inhabits our praise. We need to be thankful. If you look at it that way, I guess we're all in more danger of idolatry than we realized when we walked in here today. So what do I do about it? Answer some questions. Number one, what's your excuse for not worshiping God? What reason can you give for not glorifying him, giving him back the credit? And what keeps you from being more thankful? Here's one. I'm too busy. Too busy. Right? Here's a, can you think this could be one? I've got it too good. <laughs> How many of you have know an entitled person who's thankful? I don't. <laughs> 
right? Because an entitled person is someone who thinks they deserve it. They deserve all the good that's coming to them. No, I know what I deserve, and none of it's good, right? Too busy, too I'm too tired. I've got nothing to be thankful for. I hope that's not you. And here's one that nobody wants to talk about, but we, we harbor a secret bitterness towards God himself. I know a lot of people, and it, that's a subtle trap that we never thought we'd find ourselves in, but we can if we're not careful. So here's the question as we kind of wrap up today. How does ingratitude expose my heart? When's the last time in my praying that I took a whole prayer time just to say thank you? And am I thanking people who have blessed my life? I try to, I try to be more aware of that. What does it cost you to say thank you? Really nothing. I, uh, I was out one, not terribly long ago with one of my grandsons. And, uh, you know, we were just, I was just running errands. We went and got a burger, you know, things like that. And every, the slightest thing I did for him, he would say, thank you, Jaju. You're the best. Thank you so much. You know what that makes you want to do? Do more, <laughs> do more right? And I, and I said to his mom when I dropped him off home, I said, I don't know what you've done, but this kid is grateful. She goes, you know he really is. He's that way around here too. Anything at all, the slightest thing, and it's not just us, even his siblings, he's, he, he says thank you. And you know what that time with that little fella did for me? Put me under great conviction. I need to be more like him. <laughs> I need to have a grateful heart. There is a way out of idolatry, and it's provided through Jesus himself. Amen? We need to repent, believe the gospel, the good news, and we need to get thankful. We need to be mentally tuned in to a, to a grateful heart. And when we do, we cut off the first step to idolatry. Man, it's so important. I don't know about you, but when I look at all this, you never think that idolatry can be fixed by just being thankful. But it can. Thankful to God. Giving Him the credit for every good thing. And when we do that, it's like a vaccine against worshiping anything but him.